0: Good morning New Life, my name is Daryl Dash and I'm the pastor of Liberty Grace Church here in Toronto, uh church plant in Liberty Village and I'm so glad to be with you today. I wish I could be with you in person, I can't wait until that can happen, but it's good to be able to share the Word of God with you today by video. And if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, 2 Timothy is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul who's in prison to his protégé, Timothy, who is a leader in the church in Ephesus. And I want to invite you to read 2 Timothy 2. We're going to read from verses 14 to 19. Verse 14. Remind them of these things, and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who... Has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Well, we didn't expect it, we didn't ask for it, but we got it. This year, the coronavirus has affected all of our lives, nobody has been spared, and I don't even know what normal is going to look like anymore. But we don't always get to choose the problems that we face. Timothy didn't ask for it. He didn't expect it, but he got it. He was, as I mentioned, a leader in the church in Ephesus, and he had a problem, quite a big problem, the same problem that every church faces at one point or another. It's a problem that New Life is going to face. It's a problem that Liberty Grace Church is going to face. What is this problem? Before Paul left the elders, in Ephesus, uh, before he left the port of Miletus, he called the Ephesian elders, and in Acts 20 verse 29 he said this, I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Here's a danger, and Paul is writing to uh, Timothy, who's uh, uh, the leader in the church in Ephesus, uh, after he had warned uh, earlier these elders that this problem would happen. Here is the problem, false teachers who arose from within the church, people who called themselves Christians and who departed from the truth. I want you to think about this. Uh, I know where I live, we love to welcome people. If somebody walks through the doors of our church, we're so happy. We we just want to embrace them. Uh, at our services, we say, you're welcome here, regardless of whether you where you are in your spiritual journey. We want to be a church for skeptics. Uh, we want to be a church for people exploring Christianity. We want to be a church for new believers, and we want to be a church for mature believers. And of course, we understand that uh, the church is really uh, the, the believers, uh, gathering of believers. But we want to welcome everybody, regardless of whether they where they are in their spiritual journey. And we find, like a lot of churches, we're allergic to combative Christianity. We don't want to be a church that excludes people, uh, especially those who are struggling to know the truth. And so what do we do? I can't think of a more important topic than this. What do we do when somebody walks in the door of our church, or maybe somebody's been coming to our church for a long time and begins to maybe waver on the truth, maybe begin to drift slightly from uh, what we believe to be true? Well, that's the issue that Paul is addressing in this letter uh, Paul is uh, writing as somebody who's been abandoned by a lot of people. Many have turned their back on him within the church, and uh, they, they're ashamed of him. In chapter 1, we read that as he's in prison, waiting his execution, many have departed, many are ashamed. What do you do when this happens? What do you do when people within the church wander from the truth and begin to even teach things that just aren't true? Do we tolerate them? Do we be nice about it? Do we just say, well, we can agree to disagree? That's the question that we're going to face as we look at this passage. And here's really the question. Wolves are coming. Paul warns us that they're going to come to new life. uh, They're going to come to Liberty Grace. Maybe they already have. How should we respond? And the answer in this text is uh, that we're to take two actions. So here you go. Uh, two actions that we're supposed to take. Here's the first. Remind yourself of the truth because the truth matters. Remind yourself of the truth because the truth matters. That's the first thing we're supposed to do. Verses 14 to 15 say this. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does, has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I don't know if you underline your Bible or highlight your Bible, but um, if you do, uh, underline or highlight the first word of verse 14, it is this remind. The word in in the Greek is... Um, the present, it's in the present tense, but what it means is keep reminding. And, and the command is this: Timothy's task on an ongoing basis, week in and week out, is to remind. Keep reminding. Do this today. Do this next week. Do this the week after. Keep reminding people of the truth. Keep going and never stop. There's somebody who's written a book called Preaching as a Reminding. Uh, I I read something that the author wrote, uh, not in the book, but kind of introducing the book. And it's so critical to what Paul is saying here. Listen, Listen to his words. Preaching doesn't always have to explain new truths. Neither does it always have to persuade people, have to persuade people to believe these truths. Nor does it always have to exhort people to obey these truths. Sometimes it can simply remind folks of what they already understand, believe, and are attempting to obey. Hear that again. Preaching doesn't always have to say something new. It doesn't always have to persuade people. It doesn't even always have to exhort people. Those are all good things. Sometimes it's enough for preaching to remind us. And that's what Paul says to Timothy here. Keep reminding because we forget. We don't need new truths. We actually just need to keep being reminded of the ones that we already know. And Paul goes on, uh, he's saying that, you know, truth is so important. Keep reminding church, keep being reminded of these truths. But he goes on and then he, he actually continues and he says, uh, and Char- uh, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. So as part of this command, Timothy remind people of the truth. And then there's a certain group of people that I want you to warn. Well, what does this group of people, what are they doing? Well, they're quarreling over words. And so Paul is saying, look, truth matters. Uh, remind people of the truth. But there are some people who just like to fight. Warn them. In the movie 1917, an excellent movie, Lance Corporal, Show, uh, Lance Corporal Schofield is given the task of taking a message across enemy lines of a secret ambush. And he's supposed to deliver them to the British front lines and give the commanding officer instructions Do not go into battle. You are entering an ambush. Stand down. Do not fight. But as he's given these instructions to relay, he's told, make sure there's witnesses, because some men just like the fight. Have you ever met somebody like that? Somebody who just likes the fight. Uh, They're not concerned for the truth. Maybe it looks like they are, but they're just picking for a fight. They're always looking for something to fight about. And Paul says, if you come across somebody like that, warn them. If you come across somebody who's got itchy fingers and a hair trigger gun, tell them to stand down because some people just like to fight. Warn them. Sometimes there's a time to contend for the truth, to remind people of the truth. And sometimes there's a time to turn to people who just like to fight and tell them to stand down you might be wondering, how do you know the difference? Uh, How do you know when it's time to remind people? How do you know when it's time to emphasize the truth? And how do you know when it's time to tell somebody, back down? Well, Paul continues and answers his question. He gives the answer. He says to Timothy, you've got to know the word yourself. He says in uh, verse 15, do your best. To present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The image here of is a work of a worker who cuts straight. A good, good pastor knows how to cut the word of God straight. The good pastor knows when to remind and when to tell people that's not, this isn't the right time to fight. A good pastor knows the Uh, primary issues and the secondary issues and the tertiary issues and even the fourth order issues and he knows the difference. A good pastor understands proportionality. A good pastor knows how to interpret and apply the word of God faithfully. Just as a good basketball player knows how to make that three-point shot, just how a good accountant knows how to work a spreadsheet, just how a good carpenter knows how to use a skill saw. A good pastor knows how to use God's Word. A good pastor knows how to handle God's Word. He knows how to interpret it and preach it and apply it. He knows how to handle God's Word well. And by the way, New Life, you've got a pastor who knows how to do this. Don't take that for granted. Praise God for that. That's a gift from God. I want you to put together what Paul is saying in this section. And what he's saying is this. Truth matters. One of the most important things that you as a church can do, that the Liberty Grace Church can do week after week, is to keep being reminded of what's true. It's to make sure that our pastors know how to use the word well. And it's to avoid people who just like to fight. If you want to have a healthy church, we need to do this all the time. It's really, really important. Wolves are coming. They're going to come from within the church. How do we respond? Well, Paul says the first thing we need to do is we need to remind ourselves of the truth because it matters. Keep reminding yourself of the truth because it really matters. Okay, that's the first how do we respond when the wolves come? Keep reminding yourself of the truth. Here's the second thing that Paul says we need to do. The section, second action that we need to take. Keep reminding yourself of the truth, number one. Here's number two. Eliminate false teaching because it kills. Eliminate false teaching because it kills. What do we do about false teaching? Do we uh, agree to disagree do we just welcome people in and say we got a variety of opinions here? Do we emphasize unity and and uh, just put up with the diversity of uh teaching, even if some of it is false? Well what Paul says here is much stronger than that, eliminate false teaching because it kills. In verses sixteen and seventeen, hear what Paul says avoid a reverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Here he talks about Irreverent Babel. He's going to tell us in a minute what it is. But I want you to notice it says it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. False teaching is not innocuous. It's not uh, a light matter. It's not something to take lightly. Here Paul says actually there's uh, a causal relationship. False teaching, it's not a correlation, it's causation. False teaching leads to ungodliness. If you put up with false teaching, it doesn't just remain up here. It leads to ungodliness. It leads to ungodly behavior. I've seen this over and over. I've seen friends gradually move from the truth. And as they do, I've noticed it's not just their minds that change, their lives change. And they drift from godliness to ungodliness. That's what Paul says here. But Paul goes on and he says, uh, not only does it lead to more and more ungodliness, but their talk will spread like gangrene. Gangrene is the localized death of living cells due to either an infection or a loss of blood supply. If it's not treated, it will continue to eat away at the body. If left untreated long enough, it will kill. And what Paul's saying here is that's exactly what false teaching does. It eats away at the life of the church until it eventually, if it left untreated, it kills the church. And so Paul is saying here, you don't mess around with false teaching. You avoid it, because otherwise it will kill you. In verses 17 and 18, he actually tells us what this irreverent babbling is all about. He says in verses 17 and 18, Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, notice he names names here, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. It's not the first time Paul's mentioned this name, Hymenius. It's the first time he's mentioned Philetus. We don't know a lot about uh, him. But in the first letter, it seems that Paul spoke of Hymenius at the end of chapter 1. And he said Hymenius had, well, along with somebody else, had made shipwreck of their faith. And he said that he had handed them over to Satan that they may not learn to blaspheme. So. This is a serious matter. This is Paul saying uh, "This is they've actually shipwrecked their faith because of this false belief. And uh, he's, he's excommunicated them. He's handed them over to Satan with the hope that they learn not to blaspheme, that they learn from their error. But here we get more information about what that false teaching was. Paul says here that uh, they have, are saying that the resurrection has already happened. So here's the thing. The Bible teaches that there will be a final resurrection in the future of the living and the dead. Jesus Christ was resurrected. All of us, unless Jesus comes, are going to die. And uh, one day when Jesus comes back, if we're dead, he will raise our bodies. Our souls will be reunited with our bodies. We will live forever uh, as physical beings with perfect resurrection bodies, just like Jesus has. And if we're alive, when Jesus comes back, he will transform our bodies so that they are perfect resurrection bodies like Jesus. This is a crucial Christian teaching called the resurrection. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Friends, this is a crucial issue. This is a first order issue. This is not an area where Christians can disagree. If we lose the doctrine of the resurrection, we lose Christianity. But these two in the church argued that the resurrection had already happened. I don't know exactly what they meant. It's possible that they were teaching that the resurrection is simply an eternal mystical experience that happens to your soul. You know, it's not really a future hope that we have of our body being resurrected. It's something that happens inside of you. It's possible that they were uh, buying into an early Gnostic error that the body is not important and it just matters what happens in our soul. But they had made a grave theological error. Spurgeon, the famous British preacher, said this, Take away the resurrection and what remains of the gospel. Take it away, we've lost it. The resurrection of Christ and the consequent resurrection of his people is the keystone arch of the Christian system. And if that be removed as the myth, the whole building falls. By the way, a side note. I've been to a few funerals where uh, either somebody's gotten up, uh, maybe a family member who's a believer, or sometimes even the pastor, and they speak as if the resurrection has already happened which actually is very similar to this belief, uh, they they begin to say, like, praise God that uh, the dearly departed has already been resurrected. Well, that's wrong. Our, the resurrection has not happened. Uh, it, it's our future hope. We're just unclear uh, about this in many doctrines, and uh, given the emphasis that Paul puts on this truth about how crucial it is to Christianity, and it's actually very practical for us, very practical, it gives us hope to know that our futures, that our bodies will be resurrected as we get older, and even as we face death, as we see the decay in our bodies, knowing that one day God is going to reverse that and perfect our bodies, and we will live forever as physical beings with resurrection bodies like Jesus. We need to brush up on this truth because it's central as Christianity. And so Paul says, "This is we can't lose this. This is a first order theological truth. If you lose this issue, you lose Christianity. And I want you to hear this, broaden out from this issue, false teaching kills. When we begin to wobble on primary theological issues of first importance, and when we begin to wobble on things that scripture clearly teaches, we're in grave danger. Uh, it's, It's not a light thing. It will kill the church, and it will take us away from Christianity. And so what do we do? Well, Paul says in, in verse 16 to avoid it. And in verse 19, he continues, and he says to depart from it. Verse 19, read with me. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul was a student of the Old Testament. He knew the Hebrew scriptures well. He knew, and he's referring to the story, a story found in number 16, where a man named Korah, uh, along with others, and 250 others, um, led a rebellion against Moses' leadership. They, they went to Moses and they said, what makes you so special? Like, what about us? You know, what makes you such a big deal? Well, Moses responded and said, let's take this to the Lord. Tomorrow we show up. Let's appear before the Lord. Let's ask him. And so the next day, all these rebels show up. Moses shows up. And God says to Moses, Separate yourself from these rebels. Separate yourself from among this congregation that I might consume them in a moment. Do you hear that? I mean, this is scary. And Moses warns the congregation to separate from the rebels. He warns them, like, man, this is going to be bad. Get away from them. And then we read in number 16, 31 to 34. As soon as it finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So that they and all that belonged to them and went down alive to Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled their cry. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up too. Can you imagine that? Here are the rebels. The ground opens up and swallows them. You're standing beside them. The only same thing to do is to run as fast and far away as you can. Because your life is in danger too. If you stand too close to the rebels, you're going down with them. And Paul turns to This situation here, and he makes this point, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Here's what you do with false teachers. You run as far away and as fast as you can away from them. Because if you don't, you're putting your life in danger. It's that serious. False teaching requires that we take decisive action and get away as fast and far as we can. This goes against the way we normally operate, doesn't it? Where we tend to tolerate difference of opinion, that's a good thing. But Paul says when it comes to truth, we don't deviate, we don't tolerate, we get away as far and fast away from false teaching as we can. Matthew Cruz, a church planter in Boston, has written an excellent book called What Church Can Be. And he asks the question, what does a healthy church do with wolves? What does a healthy church do with false teachers? And here's his answer. I think it's a good one. We do not coddle them. We do not dialogue with them. We do not consider their perspective. We do not invite them to join a panel. We do not defer their ideas to a study committee. We do not suggest or recommend or propose or intimate. We silence the wolves. What do we do with false teachers? What does this passage say we should do to false teachers? We don't coddle them. We don't dialogue with them. We don't try to see things from their perspective. We don't invite them to join a panel. We don't meet them in the middle. We silence them. We get as far away and as as fast as we can away from them. We silence the wolves. So these are the two actions that Paul says to take. What, how do we respond? Well, he says, this is what we do. Remind yourself of the truth and eliminate false teaching. Remind yourself of the truth because it matters. Eliminate false teaching because it kills. Friends, we didn't ask for the coronavirus, but we got it. We're not asking for false teaching, but I guarantee you we're going to get it. Every church does eventually. Our church will face a lot of dangers, And one of the greatest dangers that our churches are going to face comes in the form of false teachers, even from within. And so wolves are coming. Remind yourself of the truth because it matters and eliminate false teaching because it kills. As I wrap up, uh, I want to quote that excellent book again, What Church Can Be, and Matthew Cruz says this, The church is going to be a safe and healthy place for Jesus' people we must be aware that wolves will find their way inside. And when they do, we can't hesitate about what to do. Good shepherds silence wolves. And so what about it? New life? Let's not be satisfied with shallow truth. As Spurgeon said, let's plunge into the stream of grace, immersing ourselves wholly into the life of God. Friends, let's remind ourselves every week of the truth. Let's study the word of God. Let's major in what he says is true. Let's remind ourselves because we're quick to forget. And friends, when the wolves come, and they will, let's be prepared to silence them. When we hear false teaching, take it seriously. Eliminate it. Get rid of it. Because your health and the health of the church depends on it. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for New Life Church. I want to thank you for their partnership in the gospel. I thank you for every church that loves the city of Toronto like New Life does and Liberty Grace does. Lord, we need more churches like New Life. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that even today that you would richly encourage them and give them everything that they need. And Father, I thank you that you've given them a pastor who loves the truth and elders who love the truth. I pray that that truth would be the mainstay of their life together as the church. Lord, help them to grow in their knowledge of the truth. I pray that they would delight in being reminded regularly of it. And when the false teachers come, as they inevitably will, I pray that they would know how to spot that. And I pray that they would take decisive action because the health of their souls and the health of the church and your glory, Lord, depend on it. Lord, I pray that we would glorify you in our actions. I pray that you would Lead us to love your word and your truth and help us to avoid false teaching. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.